Hello and welcome back to Florida Foodie. I'm your host, Candace Campos, along with our producer, Thomas Mates. Now, listen, the food service and hospitality industry makes a big portion of Florida's economy, generating more than $100 billion, (laughs) with a B, in revenue for the state and employing about a million and a half people, according to the Florida Restaurant and Lodging Association. Well, today's guest knows that industry inside and out. He started out working as a housekeeper at a Holiday Inn in India. Now he is the founder and CEO of Mandela Holdings, which operates Lime Fresh Mexican Grill. Yum. So we are so happy to be joined by Vinay Rama. Good. Thank you so much. And thank you for having the time to talk to us on our podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me, Candice and Thomas. Okay, so let's start off with just that with that intro said. You started housekeeping in hell. <clears throat> I mean, what was that process? I mean, did you always want to do hospitality or was it something you just continued yeah. to <clears throat> Yeah, so factually, frankly, I started my career when I was born in the sense that my father owned a motel in Antioch, Tennessee, near Nashville. That's where I was born. <clears throat> it was a Best Western. Obviously, I was too young at the time. But by the time I was like five or six, I was making beds and putting up shower curtains and filling the Coke machines uh, at the motel. At the time, we were in the Days Inn. So we lived in that motel for about eight years, in room number 208, I think, in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, So when you say housekeeper in Puna, that was my first paid job. Right. Uh, I didn't get paid by the family, but my first paid job was at 16 in India. And I think it was like 800 rupees a week, which is like $16 a week. Obviously, relatively, it was pretty good. Um, But uh, the best part about that job was that I was working with people that had never slept on a bed or that that never had a chair in their house. To arrange a chair or to make a bed was a training process that was a lot more amplified than training somebody in the States who might be low income, but at least they know what a bed is, right? So I think what I learned there, besides making beds and combing the carpet in the right direction after you vacuum and all that good stuff, um, I learned how people that didn't speak the English or didn't have a home that had some of the elements or the FF&E of how to train them to understand uh, and get into the guest minds of what they're looking for. Um, so it was, a, it was a more, I guess, it was a tougher process to get people to understand what the guest needs are. And so kind of fast forwarding to today, when I'm working with people that speak English uh, and then you, you serve food that they can afford. By the way, my associates can afford a meal at Mind Fresh. The associates I was working with could not afford to stay in the room or eat at the hotel. They would never dream of staying. Even in 10 years, they'd be like, I'm eating at a five-star hotel. You know, So that was interesting. So anyways, um, that was my first job. And then kind of escalated from there. Uh, went to school, formally got trained in hotel management and real estate finance at Cornell. Uh, for four years, and then joined an investment bank. And so that's what kind of I got the sophisticated capital education. So kind of take the motel operations world, the street smart, and how to be frugal and how to how to, how to take fiscal discipline, if you will. Um, and then kind of layered that with um, an education in capital markets through Mark Elliott, who unfortunately passed away earlier this year. But he taught me how to raise capital for hotels and portfolios, which my family always grew through in-house cash flow. They made money from the motel, made some money, popped that back into another one. So it was organic growth. Um, Mark taught me, you don't need uh, $10 million to build a hotel. You only need $200,000. And I'll teach you how to build a $20 million hotel with $200,000. And so 
combined with that, I started my company, Mandala Holdings. Um, in between, I worked for my uncle, by the way, who taught me quite a bit. Um, and so anyways, yeah, so I'll pause there, but that's that's <laughs> kind of in a, in a sound bite. So, so how did you get from, so, uh, you know, you said you were born in Tennessee and then your family went back to India. What was that transition between the two like? Actually, they didn't come back to India. I went to India on my own. So um, I was sent to India at the age of 12. Um, They put me on a plane in Atlanta with a teddy bear. And 48 hours later, I was in India at this boarding school, by no means luxurious, uh, holes in the ground to do your business in. Um, hot water for the first 10 people. Um, and it was sort of like the thing to do amongst Indians. It's not like they sent me to suffer, but they sent me actually for a education in, um, you know, kind of being out of my comfort zone and also to pick up on the Indian culture. They're very kind of, you know, they immigrated from India in the seventies. They're like, you're going to forget your culture. And so they sent me there. It was kind of the thing to do for Indian families to be sent to a, a boarding school uh, in those years, just to kind of groom yourself. So that's what happened. So at 12 to 16, I was in a boarding school. Then I moved out of the boarding school into an apartment in Pune to do my 11th and 12th grade. And that's when I got the job at Holiday Inn in Pune uh, as my first job. So they were actually here. And in those six years, between 12 and 18, I went to the States twice. So it's not like I came home every year to, you know, kind of get my dose of Taco Bell. Um, I was in it. I was in it. I missed Taco Bell a lot when I was there, by the way. But um, <laughs> And then my parents came to visit me. But, I mean, it wasn't like I was flying back home every year to kind of get my American fix. So I was pretty um, immersed into that scene. Do you think that kind of helped you be the person that you are today? By kind oh, of yeah. pushing you out of your comfort zone, right? <laughs> Good and bad. Um, you kind of have a screw loose. But, frankly, that screw loose helps you take risks. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, risk, uh, people's perceived risk uh, is a different, I'm on a different um, spectrum, if you will, because that was risky, right? My parents sending me there. I had a motorcycle at 16, Ooh. no car, got into probably five accidents, almost killed myself like three times. Um, and so now when I'm taking risks as an entrepreneur, people say, oh my God, that was gutsy. I'm like, no, there's gutsier things you can do in life. You know what I mean? And then because I was so young in a different environment, living on my own, you can plant me anywhere around the world and I'll, I'll handle it you know, kind of thick skin. Yeah. I mean, and you got into Cornell university. I mean, that, yes. that's not, yeah. that's not an easy feat. No, 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 no. And my essays helped me. The essay of me being in India, uh, driving a motorcycle at 16, uh, running over people and then dealing with the mob, trying to chase all these colorful stories that came about through the international experience at that age, frankly, piqued their interest. Yeah. Piques our interest yeah. for sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. And yeah. so when, when it comes to kind of sticking with the whole hospitality industry, I mean, what made you go from hotels to restaurants? Because I mean, this is Florida foodie. They're probably <clears> thinking, <throat> okay, why are we talking about restaurants? But I mean, Lime Fresh, I mean, it's a big, it, it's a, it's a right. big chain. There's so many places around, around the, the country, um, the world, I'm not sure, but what, what is it? What, what, what made you make that transition in your head from hospitality sure hotel to restaurants yeah. mm-hmm. frankly opportunistic it's not like i charted out a plan to say let's get into restaurants because it's the next best thing or mm-hmm. it's synergies with hospitality i didn't think of any of that uh to be honest a friend of mine called me um in 2017 and said and he was in the arts and sciences program at cornell his name was joey belmont <clears throat> 
he called me. He said, I'm in arts and sciences. You're in hotel. You're better off assessing this deal than I am. I'm like, I don't know restaurants that well. I mean, I have an ecosystem of people I know that know restaurants, but I'm in hotels, hardcore. Um, but he said, you know, I'm better than you. You're going to be better than me in assessing this deal. So he brought me into the fold for due diligence uh, for the deal. And then I looked at it. I said, this is pretty good. I mean, in the sense, it's a Mexican fast casual. It's small. And what piqued my interest is, frankly, the numbers. Um, Ruby Tuesday had bought the brand from this guy named John Kunkel in 2012. <clears throat> John Kunkel had started the brand in 2004, grew it to 12 or 15. Ruby Tuesday took it over in 2012 for $25 million in 2012. They grew it from 15 to 30 outlets. They shut down 23 of them. They had mothership issues. It's like everything on a cruise ship is doing wonderful, but if the ship sinks, everything sinks with it. So Lying Fresh was one of the elements that was successful, but the ship was sinking. Therefore, they, need, they wanted to offload it. So bell number one. Okay, the brand doesn't suck. The mothership is drowning. So, so I'm like, okay, then you can't assess it based on the shutdowns. Then you look into it. I came to Miami and I asked all the people. That was, that's where most of the locations were located. I said, do you love Lime? And everyone said, I love Lime. I've been going there for years. And so I'm like, this is shocking. They shut down to why? And so again, it all pointed to infrastructure and bandwidth and focus and quarterly early earnings versus the inherent values of, of Lime. And, um, and so again, opportunistic led me into it. And fast forward to today, I'm very happy we made the deal. So uh, you, like you said, it expanded and then contracted very quickly. Yeah. Uh, and when you got it, there was about seven restaurants. <clears throat> Where do you stand now? And then how do you, how did you grow that from where it was to where it is now? Yeah. So currently we have 16 opening two more to 19 um, in the near yes. future sometime next year. Thank you very much. Um, and we could have grown faster. It's been about three years. The friends that I invested with initially, frankly, there was a whole buying out process. So I didn't like the way I was going to be the passive investor, by the way. My uncle calls himself an accidental hotelier uh, or motelier, whatever you want to call it. Um, he came into this, um, in this country not knowing what to do and then became a hotelier and didn't train for it. Similarly, I find myself an accidental restaurateur hmm. in the sense that I went in passively, but because they, frankly, weren't operating with the cultural alignment of what I envisioned as, I said, either buy me out or I'm buying you guys out. So over time, I bought them out. So now I became the active player which people call risky. They're like, oh my God, you have never done this before, this, that, the other. I'm like, ah, it's okay, we'll figure it out. And so that's, that's where uh, we are today. That took some time to restructure ownership, number one. Number two, I didn't wanna grow too quickly because that's the beginning of the end. That's one of the biggest mistakes. I talked to a whole bunch of people in the industry. I talked to some colleagues, um, uh, you know, alumni folks, and they said, that's sort of the death knell if you grow too fast and you can't control consistency and you grow uh, disparately. So one thing I learned is grow in concentric circles because you can basically control your region better. The marketing synergies are better. You spend $10 in marketing in Florida. You have one location in Minnesota. That's not going to see the marketing, um, I guess, the, uh, the benefit. So growing in concentric circles, growing slowly, carefully, intelligently, uh, is the name of the game for us as Lime. And therefore, we've only grown from seven to 16 in the last three years. We could have grown to 50. Now that we've defined the path, um, I guess, um, designed our version 3.0, now we're more confident in growing. So I'd say the next five years will look more like more aggressive growth. 
Yeah, because I mean, you guys are obviously clustered in South Florida, which is where I first, yeah. <clears throat> um, you know, became addicted to to Lyme. Um, and is it a reason for South Florida? Is there just something about about their no. location, or is there something more to that? So John Kunkel was based in South Florida. So remember, I didn't create the brand. John Kunkel did. Uh, he created Yardbird, um, Lime Fresh. He was based in Miami, and the first location was on South Beach. It was like locals serving locals in a land of, I think one of the quotes that my um, my colleague, John Timms, who now works for us, is in a land of apathy, we were about community and service. I love it. So there were locals serving locals, serving uh, food with ingredients that your grandmother recognizes, uh, edgy sort of Miami vibe, uh, fresh food, lines out the door, um, so that was the beginning, and it just happened to be where John started the business. And frankly, we want to extend that DNA across the nation and maintain that edginess, maintain that grandmother's food, you know, recognizing ingredients, maintain all of that. So that's that's how it's. So you say you're in kind of accidental in in the restaurant business. Mm-hmm. Do you know how to cook? How how, how well don't. are your cooking skills? Tell I don't. Me. I don't. <laughs> I know like two or three things, like eggs. I can make a mean Indian style scrambled eggs and couple of other things, but I know how to eat food. (laughs) I know when I taste something awesome and, um, but I have some great folks that work on the team that are experts. And, um, frankly, it's not me. It's, it's, it's a team effort. That's why I say our brand. I never say my brand because, uh, without them, I can't be successful. So how does the, how does the brand itself look different from, aside from just the growth, how, how does it look different from when you took over? What have we made or have you, kept it kind of at its core the same? Um, at its core, the same. So, okay, let me back up. When the brand was started, it was all those awesome values, right? Land of apathy, community and service, local serving locals. When Ruby Tuesday took over, nothing against them. They're a large, very successful company that went like this, but it became more corporate and sterile, right? So it kind of lost its mojo, if you will. When I took over, when we took over, um, we kind of, said, which direction do we want to go? Do we want, because it needed work. It hadn't been touched in 15 years, right? And there were new concepts that came about competition. So we're like, now we're old. Back in 2005, it was fresh. It was lime fresh. Now it's lime stale almost, getting stale, getting corporate. So we had to evolve it. The question is what direction? We could have gone many directions. We could have gone more authentic. We could have called some chef from Monterey, Mexico and uh, started serving El Pastor or whatever. But we said, let's maintain that Mexican-inspired vibe versus authentic Mexican. So we can serve Mexican pizza at our restaurant, and people will be okay with it. An authentic Mexican restaurant can't serve churro bites with pumpkin spice whipped cream. No, we can't. So we have flexibility. We call ourselves Mexican-inspired cuisine, Miami-inspired vibes, right? So that's nomenclature. So we decide that's the evolution. So I wouldn't call it an evolution. But that's how we thought about the next um, uh, version of Lime. We doubled down on freshness. So back then, just having a fresh taco with fresh lettuce was considered fresh. Now people are using microgreens. People are using tempeh. People are using cauliflower rice. So we're doubling down on the freshness category to the extent where it kind of translates into design. The other thing is back then, the design didn't have to be fresh and feel fresh as much. Now people want to see the design also have an element of, I guess, relevance, right, to your brand and to your menu. And so as an example, we have live plants in our restaurants. Restaurants typically shy away from live plants because of maintenance. We said, no, if we're serious about fresh, don't have fake plants, have live plants. Um, We do scratch kitchen stuff. 
back in the day, the kitchen was behind closed doors. We brought the kitchen out front. Now the guests can see into the kitchen. There's a transparency to the operation, which I feel is metaphorically as well as kind of logistically uh, makes sense for the guests. So those are some of the things. So we just kind of doubled down on what was good about it then and kind of fast forward to 2030. I like to call our late Nona Orlando line uh, kind of the 2030 version of it, of, of line. So speaking so of... Yeah, yeah, I mean, speaking of, there's a flash, flagship restaurant in Lake Nona. You got the yes. one. Uh, Orlando, it's a little different than Miami. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, do you kind of feel that that, that inspo, that Miami vibe will, will work up here? It's working. I think it's working. Yeah. So people were looking for that and yearning for that. Again, I think Orlando is a land of corporate, sterile, middle of the road, herding cows, if you will, lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to bring back that authenticity and character to a dining experience in the fast casual segment. Fast casual, I think you get that at fine dining. If you go to Cap at Four Seasons or a couple of other fine dining, you have that authenticity. But as soon as you kind of lower down to that fast casual average check, 15 to 25 bucks, it becomes this chain philosophy. Um, you know, it's gonna be tough as we grow. I'll be honest with you. I speak a good game right now, but we have 16 outlets. Talk to me at 50, I might say that was tough, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we're gonna to try to maintain that authenticity as we go. A large part of that will be having franchisees that are ingrained in those communities, right? So our two franchisees in, in Miami live in Pembroke Pines and they operate within a 20 mile radius. The one that operates them in Miami, it lives in Dadeland, I think, and he operates within that 30 mile radius. So thinking that's gonna be important. Um, what else did you ask? Uh, the second phase of the question, did that answer your question? Yeah, no. Oh, or like, yeah, and the, the music, the music is very, um, it's Miami, right? It's sort of universal. It's edgy. It's eclectic. We have some '90s R&B and hip hop. We have some electronic. Uh, we have some lounge, beach, uh, Buddha bar stuff, and that's different. And I was nervous about that, frankly, because the interior is fine. You can Orlando neighborhood, suburban. You know, they're gonna like, oh, it's beautiful. But then the music, they're like, this is too weird. No, they love it. I asked an older lady. Uh, my test was like people that you don't think enjoy, whether in Miami or so an older lady. I'm like, do you like the music? She's like, yeah, it's good. And she's bobbing her head to the uh, to the uh, food. If she likes it, I'm like, everybody's going to like it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So they're embracing it. Yeah. So, you know, we don't often hear people in, in your position as like the CEO of a company talking about, you know, the vibe and, and the, the, the ethos of it as in, in the same way that you are. It's, it's usually more of that, like, corporate line, you know, ah, line yeah, most important. Yeah. And you, you seem to be pushing, you know, you know, customer and employee experience before, you know, just right. the money we're gonna make on this. Do you attribute that to your own time working in the service industry? Yes, I do. Um, I feel like, remember we own a brand, even though we, we the operations is very important. We purchased a brand, not a restaurant. Right. So I had to change it in the hotel realm. I operate, you know, we buy the land, we raise the capital, build the hotel and operate that hotel. In this world, I have to different where I'm a franchisee there, a franchisor here. So my franchisees expect us to think this way, to be honest. We have to continue to keep an eye on the future and in the, in the competitive landscape of what we want. And I'm getting chills thinking about this, even though I'm wearing a sweatshirt. Um, we have to figure out what our guest is liking today, what it will like, and focus on the guest experience. But you hit on a good point. Associate experience is the key to the game. You take care of your associates. You take care of 
your guests and the whole thing. And I got that from the hotel world. Marriott, um, thankful to them to ingrain that into me as a franchisee. They're so associate centric. Uh, people love working for them. And that's why we're one of the top hotel companies in the world, right? Um, and so for us, I tell my leaders and managers and everyone else, uh, they tell me, okay, what's my job description? I'm like, you only got two things to do. There's only a list of two things. Number one, in, in order of priority, it's associate satisfaction. You take care of them. You have to love them. You have to nurture them. Uh, if they need help, you have to help them. And then number two is everything else. There's nothing on anything at the restaurant that's not your responsibility. So basically it's everything, but number one is associate satisfaction. So we sincerely care for our associates. Um, and it shows you talk to our associates, at least at Nona, where we operate it. We're trying to transcend that into the franchisee setting, but they love working for Lime. Um, and so you walk into one of your Lime locations, what's the one thing that you have to get? Um, so it's a tale of two concepts, a tale of evolved concept. I would say are just get a, get a beef taco, uh, get a quesadilla, get a chicken quesadilla, and get the 8th Street Burrito in Miami. So that's uh, kind of a you know, um, nice beef, or the carne asada burrito at Nona or any of the locations. So I don't even eat beef, but I, apparently it's awesome. <laughs> well it's funny because i was talking to my sister before yeah. this podcast and she is a lime fiend she just i mean right. anytime i'm talking to her she's eating there and i told her i said what's one question she goes i want to know what's in that queso it's so good it's so yes, good yes so, yes you know so you have a lot of fans down there and i know Thank that it's you. only yeah, a matter yeah, of time yeah. before you just blow up hip here because it seems like you know there's there's some type of magic here in yeah. Magic City, you know? True. It's it's almost like the brand has cracked the code and that's the toughest part. I can always mold the infrastructure and the marketing and we can always tweak this and tweak that. But if you haven't cracked the code and people spend millions on cracking sort of a code of uh, brand resonance, Harley Davidson, as an example, as a brand, people get tattooed Harley Davidson. They have apostles as a brand, right? Yeah. So that's what we want Lime to be is apostles of the brand. And, and John Kunkel... Uh, and then subsequently, we just want to kind of carry that and evolve that. It can die pretty quickly through change of ownership. But I feel like we're doing a pretty damn good job as a team uh, to maintain that ethos. Awesome. Yeah. Where can people find, you know, the latest online, you know, and, and stuff that's coming up and, and coming down the pike? Where, where can people find all that, you know, social sure. media, online, all that stuff? Yeah, line fresh. Um, is Julia on the phone? I guess I don't know. Um, yes. So uh, yeah, what's our what's our Insta line fresh right? Instagram hashtag line fresh. Am I, am I allowed to, to speak? Oh, sorry, sure, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> hey guys, a uh, line fresh Mexican and yeah. then you can find us on Instagram at line fresh and Facebook as well. And then for our Orlando friends, you can find us at line fresh underscore Nona. Yes, Instagram. that's that's the one where you see the evolved version of Lime. And frankly, um, you're going to see a lot more of those. Right now, we have a kind of weight on the old versions. But I'd say in the next two years, you're going to see more of the new version. And I'd like people to focus on Lime Fresh underscore Nona uh, to see the, see, see the future. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. This was great. I mean, it's just awesome. It's just so eclectic and so different. And I mean, that's what we love about this podcast is, you know, you don't have thank to you. Chef yeah. opening up a restaurant. You can be somebody right. <laughs> bring the business all together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. 
And well, there's another Lime coming to Orlando soon. Vin, do you want to tell them about that? Yes, absolutely. There's another Lime at Flamingo Crossings, uh, which is a Disney. Last thing I'll say is that Disney, you know, Disney, how they validate brands and how much due diligence they do on concepts before they let them into their fold or their ecosystem. Um, and, and you have a lot of Mexican concepts knocking on their door. I want to be part of Disney. Uh, but they pick Lime to be in one of their new developments called Flamingo Crossings. And oh, so we're going to open there next June. There you go. That's a big deal. You know about what time next year? Uh, June. June of 2022. Yeah. Way to bury the lead there, man. <laughs> I know. You know, it's funny. I went to a presentation. Like, they wanted me to present. You know, so I, I presented and I'm all prepared and, you know, suited up and all that. And um, and then, you know, I and I prepared. Like, I had a sequence and a storyboard, right? And, you know, I, and I want people to pay attention from beginning to end. But in between the presentation, one guy would get up and another guy would get in. And then another guy got up and another person got up. I'm like, damn, this is messing everything up. Not one person is hearing the story. But you know what they were assessing more than the strategy or the or the or the or the kind of ingredients or the or the technicality of it? They were assessing me. They were assessing our team. They're more focused on the cultural alignment. They know that they've already figured out the line serves the right food and the they, they design the right way and they can operate. They have the infrastructure. They've already figured that out. They don't want to hear that. They're assessing us. And that's that's what that, that's what was interesting about the whole Disney thing. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, great to, great to see you guys. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Okay. Thank you for listening to Florida Foodie. We'd also like to thank our guest, Vinay Rama from Lime Fresh Mexican Grill. You can find his business online at limefreshmexicangrill.com. Or on Instagram and Facebook, just search Lime Fresh. You can also find Candace Campos on social media. She's on Twitter, just search at Candace New Six. And on Facebook, search Candace Campos New Six. Also, a big thank you to our technical producers, Derek Mosier and Ryan Haley. I'm the show's producer, Thomas Mates. Please take the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or tell a friend about Florida Foodie. You can find videos of all of our podcasts at clickorlando.com slash Florida Foodie. And be sure to sign up for the Florida Foodie newsletter while you're there.